Hey, everybody. I just love these songs that we sing. If you're like me, sometimes you need these words to remind your soul in the middle of the week that there is a God who loves you. He won't fail you. He's made you. He cares about you. And he is present here with us today. And he wants to move inside of your heart. And I personally am so thrilled that you're here. I want to say welcome. We are starting a brand new teaching series called Relating to Humans. And over the next four weeks, we're going to talk about our relationships and how we relate to one another. And this series reminds me of a conversation I had uh, with my father-in-law about 20 years ago, right before Stacy and I got married. And many of you husbands can remember some of these conversations with father-in-laws where they brought you in and they talked to you about getting married. Well, he said to me something that impacted me deeply. He said, Andy, I know you're going to go into ministry. I know you're going to be a pastor. I want you to know I don't care how many people come to the church that you pastor. I don't care about how many people know your name. I don't care about how much money you make. None of that matters to me. All that matters to me, if you're going to be a success in God's eyes, there are three things that matter. Number one, that you would love Jesus with all your heart. Number two, you'd love my daughter. And number three, you would keep growing as a man, that you would keep getting better every single year. And that one phrase for me became a mantra. It deeply impacted because when I got married, I was horrible at marriage. Like the first year of marriage was just a, a bomb. It was really bad. And many times I'm sure Stacy thought to herself, what in the world have I gotten into? And over the next 20 years, though, I've, I've gotten better. And this mantra of just get a little bit better every single year has impacted me in a huge way. Now, if I'm honest with you, though, there is a season over the last few years when it comes to relationships, it's been really hard to get better over the last three years. Would anybody else agree with me that the last three years, when it comes to relating with other humans, it's been very difficult? Because something shifted inside of us with the pandemic. So many of us were locked inside of our homes. Many people learned how to do video chats unlike ever before. Perhaps your messaging and your communication with the people in your life shifted. And so much changed in our relationships. On top of that, uh, in the middle of a pandemic with an election happening here in the United States of America, uh, people got increasingly hostile with one another. There was an anger that built and there was some stuff happening underneath the surface, just under the surface, that with all of that combined caused it to bubble up. And there was a lot of anger, a lot of frustration, and many things shifted in the way that we relate to one another. And I would venture to say that in some ways our relationships changed and never have gone back to the way that they were. And we've gotten worse at relationships. Well, this is not a good thing, right? In fact, when we read the Bible, Jesus had so much to say about our relationships. And I believe that we can make a case that Jesus cares more about our relationships than any other aspect of our lives. He said one time in John chapter 13, 34, he says, I'm giving you a new commandment. Love each other just as I have loved you. You should love each other. And your love for one another will prove to the world that you are my disciples. Uh, Jesus is making a statement that the primary difference between a follower of Jesus and everybody else in the world should be the way that we relate to one another. He is saying that if you go inside of a business and you look at a business owner who follows Jesus and a business owner who doesn't, there should be a stark difference 
between the business owner that is a follower of Jesus and the one who isn't. If you were to go inside of a home and you were to look at how a parent treats a child, the way a Jesus follower treats children should be way different than the way the rest of the world treats children. So let's go back one more time. Jesus is saying, the way that you treat one another will show the whole world that you are my disciples. Uh, I wanna encourage you to write this down because it's at the core of what we're gonna talk about throughout this series, that when I am changed, when you are changed by Jesus, a transformed person transforms their relationships. So if I am internally being changed by the love of God and his goodness towards me, and I'm understanding his great purposes for my life, the more I press in and I'm changed by him, the more my relationships should be transforming over the course of time. But if we're honest with ourselves, oftentimes our relationships are getting worse. Our relationships are decaying, they're broken, there's so many uh, points of pain and tension in our homes. And this series is really about coming back to what did Jesus teach, what did the Bible teach about how we are to relate to one another. Now, you may be here and you're not a follower of Jesus, and that's great. We're glad you're here with us. All of the principles that we're going to look at over these next few weeks have the power to change our lives if we're a follower of Jesus or not. There's a power in the principles that Jesus teaches, and they can change the way that we relate to one another. So today I'm going to begin with a principle, and it's a principle that's at play in every single one of our lives. Uh, it's at play at your work. It's happening at your school. It's happening in traffic. It's happening in every conversation that you're having. There's one principle that is working for you or against you in every relationship that you have. And today I wanna to talk about how do you harness and leverage this one principle. We're gonna call it the imitation principle. And here's the principle. Humans reflect what they receive. So let me give you an example. Uh, if you'll look at me for just a moment at all of our campuses, all of you who are joining us on our, uh, at our international campuses and in homes, I want you just to look at my face for just a moment. <laughs> now, if I smile at you, what's your natural tendency? Smile back. In fact, you might turn to somebody and just smile. Just say, it's good to see you. I'm so glad you're here today. If you're joining on a computer, just put a smiley a smile emoji right there in the chat. And isn't it true that when you, when you get a smile, the natural tendency for most of us is to smile back. Now, when you're driving down the road and somebody honks their horn at you, what's the natural tendency? Honk the horn back. When somebody gives you the one finger salute, what's the natural tendency? <laughs> Let's hope you don't have a Saddleback sticker on your car or a Saddleback t-shirt when you get the one finger salute. But our natural tendency as humans is to reflect what we receive. And this is true in conversation. If somebody gets amped up, the natural tendency is to get amped up ourselves. If somebody slows down their words, the natural tendency as a human is to slow down and to match their cadence and their rhythm. It's hardwired into how God made us as humans that we reflect what we receive. This is true with little babies. This is true with people in their 80s, that God made you to reflect what you receive. And this is working for you or it's working against you in your most important relationships. I found it fascinating. Sometimes people ask pastors, what do you do during the week? Um, sometimes we watch YouTube videos to help us in our sermons. So I watched this fascinating video, and it's sad, but it was actually kind of crazy to 
watch it. There, there was this concept, there was a family um, that they found, I'm not going to say the state, somewhere in the United States of America, uh, but there was this family that had these two kids, and they put these kids outside with the animals, and they lived with the animals. And the social services came and found these kids. They were in a dog pen, and these kids were acting like dogs. They were literally crawling around on all fours, barking, because they had been with dogs for so long that they started acting like them. This, this is the imitation principle. So it's working for us or against us. And I want to talk about how you get it moving for you in your most important relationships. And what we're going to do today, we're going to look at a passage of scripture found in Ephesians chapter 4. And we're going to camp there for a few minutes. And I want you to hear these words because the Apostle Paul, one of the early followers of Jesus, is writing this letter and this letter was spread across churches in the first century. And it's been read for thousands of years. Now, in Ephesians 1, 2, and 3, Paul outlines the love of Jesus. In fact, he makes this statement. He talks about the depth, the breadth, the height, the length of God's love. That it is, it is majestic and powerful. And he's talking about the cross of Jesus, the empty tomb, the power of God to change our lives. But in chapter 4 and 5... Paul gets really specific on how we are to relate with one another. And he gives us this principle in these few verses, the imitation principle. Now I want you to see what he says. He begins and he says this. Throw off your old sinful nature and your former way of life, which is being corrupted by lust and deception. Instead, let the Spirit of God renew your thoughts and your attitudes. Put on your new nature created to be like God, truly righteous and holy. So he's saying that inside of us, there's a war that's happening. And you feel this every day. When you wake up, you're interacting with your spouse or your kids or your coworkers or your parents. You feel a war internally. And there's one side of you that wants to be kind. And there's another side of you, like me, that, that is your flesh, what the scripture says. And it's a natural tendency to move away from God's very best for our lives. And Paul is saying that in order to interact the way that God wants us to interact, there's a renewal that happens. So the Spirit of God, what he does is he changes us from the inside out. And there's new fruit that comes into our lives. Love, joy, peace, patience. And that fruit changes the way we relate. So he says, let the Spirit renew your thoughts, your attitude. And then he goes on to describe what that renewing looks like. And I want you to see how much of this relates to our, our friendship and our relationships with one another. So he says this, don't use foul or abusive language. This next statement right here might be one of the hardest verses in the Bible to obey. He says, let everything you say be good and helpful so that your words will be an encouragement to those who hear them. And do not bring sorrow to God's Holy Spirit by the way you live. Remember, he has identified you as his own, guaranteeing that you will be saved on the day of redemption. Now, what does it look like to be somebody who is a child of God and reflects the character of God? He goes on to describe, get rid of all bitterness, rage, anger, harsh words, and slander. This would be great to apply to how we drive our cars right here. Just take these few words. As well as all types of evil behavior. Instead, now he's going to go positive. So there's things that you remove and then there's things that we apply. He says, instead... Be kind to each other, tender-hearted, forgiving one another. And I want you to hear this phrase, write it down. He says, just as God through Christ has forgiven you. 
So I want us to notice that Paul is bringing in the standard for relationship. And he's saying the standard for how we relate to one another is Jesus himself who died on a cross for the sins of the world. That's the example of how we are to love one another. And here's the principle that he he gives to us. He says, imitate God, therefore, in everything you do because you are his dear children. So I remember when my little kids would... When they were born, they would grab my face. They're like six months, a year old. They'd look in my, into my face, and it was like they would just stare into my face. And he is saying that there's an imitation of God as a child. So you stare into his face and know what he's really like. Be an imitator of God as a dearly loved child. Live a life that is filled with his love. Following the example of Christ, he loved us and offered himself as a sacrifice for us a pleasing aroma to God. Now, let me ask you a question. Anybody else a little convicted when you read verses like that? Just out of curiosity. It's okay to raise your hand and be honest. Man, when I look at those verses and I see my life, there's such a disparity between the perfection of God's love. But the good news is a transformed person that is being changed, our relationships over time are transforming. And we're becoming more and more like Jesus in the way that we relate to one another. Now, I want to talk about how do you get this principle and these truths working in your life? How do you get them moving in the right direction? And I want to start with this one. If I'm going to actually transform my relationships as an imitation of God's love, the first thing is I have to increase my relational awareness. I have to increase my relational awareness. And have you ever noticed that when you're in a hurry and you're, you're, you're going to school or you're going to work and you're, you're trying to get out the door in the morning or you're trying to start a meeting and you're going from one meeting to the next, that when you're hurried, there's a natural tendency for the quality of interactions to go down. Hurry is the enemy of intimacy. So when I'm hurried, it radically impacts my ability to love the people around me. And what I want to do over time is I want to cultivate an awareness of three things. First of all, of God. Secondly, of others. And thirdly, of myself. So as I'm interacting with other people, the more aware I am of God's powerful love for me, the more aware I am of God's love for the person right across from me, and the more aware I am of what's happening inside of myself and God's love for me, the more likely I am to treat that person that's in front of me with God's love for me. And sometimes hurry, circumstances, frustration, anger, and other people can very quickly cause us to lose awareness of God's love for us. One time I was uh, at a Baskin-Robbins, and this was kind of right after COVID, and everybody's learning to do everything touchless, and there was um, a drink machine at the Baskin-Robbins. And the drink machine... You could scan a QR code and you could control the, the, the drink machine from your phone. And my children, are, my, my sons are very funny. And sometimes I shouldn't laugh at things that they do, but sometimes I end up. There's a middle school boy inside of every grown man. And so we're at this Baskin Robbins and my son realizes he can take his phone and control the drink machine. So every time somebody walks up to the drink machine and starts to go to press the Coke... He'll like press the Fanta button and orange is coming out. 
And so we're on the outside of Baskin Robbins, and for like 15 minutes, he's doing it. He's just going on. And it was, it was really funny to me. It was like a Saturday Night Live skit. And so I'm just enjoying this, but what I, what I don't realize is that the owner of Baskin Robbins is not enjoying this. And so I go inside, and this is after like 15 minutes, and I go to get my water, and when I go to get my water, I have a water bottle, and the owner is like, you, you can't use the machine. And I'm like, I just spent 20 bucks on ice cream. I can use the machine. I didn't say that, but I'm thinking it to myself. And I'm like, I just want some water. And he's like, no, you can't use it. You, you can't use it. You'll make it dirty. So I walk over to the counter, and when I get to the counter, he's like, well, you have to have a cup, but I'm not giving you a cup. And I'm like, well, just give me a cup. Just a little plastic cup. That's all I need. I spent 20 bucks on ice cream. So we're going back and forth, negotiating with the love of God. And, and I'm like going back and forth. And finally, I convinced this guy to give me a little cup. And I'm like, I'm going to fill my water bottle up. So I take my little cup and I go over and I take my little cup and I'm filling my water bottle up like this. And the owner comes up and he puts himself between me and the drink machine. And it's, it's getting bad. This sounds like a brawl. And so I'm like, okay, I'm, I'm not going to react. I'm not going to respond. And finally, I'm like, I have gotten myself so far into a conflict. How do I get out of this? Anybody ever have something like this happen? Like, I'm in so far. And so I just hear the voice of God, turn around, walk out, don't say anything else. But I turn around and I walk out, and the thought hits me, why didn't I just leave when he told me to stop using the machine? Like, why, why, am, why do I still find myself and my tendency in my flesh to revert to what I receive. And so easily what can happen is I lose perspective of what, what's happening around me. So I lost in that moment awareness for, this, for God's love for this guy in front of me. I lost awareness of God's love for me in the moment. And my relationship, there, there's no way I'm going back and inviting that guy to church after that interaction. <laughs> And maybe, maybe you've had some interactions like this, but I want to encourage you. There's some really practical things that we can do. First of all, a helpful practice is to slow down. And what I mean by this is to pay attention to how fast you're walking, how fast you're interacting with other people. It's impossible to see when we're at mock speed. So sometimes we're moving so fast but what slowing does is it makes us be able to see what God is doing all around us. And there's something so powerful about beholding the love of God in every situation that we find ourselves in. When I slow down, I'm able to see my situation differently. I'll explain it like this. Uh, I used to, I remember a few years ago on the computer screens, Macs, which are a far superior computer to others, and um, I noticed on my computer there was a, a, a Yosemite picture, and I would look at it, and I was like, oh, that looks really cool. And I, I loved what Yosemite looked like. But when I went to Yosemite and I stood on the floor of Yosemite and I looked up at these mountains, I want you just to see these pictures here for just a moment, just one picture. When I looked up and I saw the majesty of what God had created, when I was able to behold it, it was almost like that image changed me. And what I had seen on a screen was so different than what I was seeing in person. And there's something so powerful about beholding the love of God. It has the power to change us from the inside out. 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 18, 17 and 18. Listen to this. It says, now the spirit 
the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there's freedom. And we all, with unveiled faces, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to the next. So the more I behold the love of God, the more I stare and I contemplate and think about and experience God's love for me, the more I extend that love to other people around me. And he continues, he says, for this comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. So what I behold determines who I become. And the more I experience, the more you experience the love of God in your life, the more you're able to give that love to others. I want to encourage you to make space in your life this week to behold the love of God, to meditate on it, to take time to thank God and think about his precious, perfect love for you. And that perfect love, what it does is it changes us from the inside out so that we can love others. 1 John 3, 2 says, Dear friends, now we are children of God, and what we will be has not yet been made known, but what we know we shall see when Christ appears. We shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. So in an instance, when we see God, for the fullness of his glory will be changed in a moment. And that transformation can happen in increments now where we become more and more like Jesus. It starts with beholding. It starts with us having an awareness of the love of God for those around us. That's number one. Now, number two is this, is to elevate my relational standards. To elevate the standard of my interaction with others. Let's come back to Ephesians 5, 1 and 2 for just a moment. It says, imitate God. Therefore, in everything you do, because you are his dear children, live a life filled with love, following the example of Christ. He loved us and offered himself as a sacrifice for us, a pleasing aroma to God. Now, I, I want to acknowledge, when we scan the room or we, we look at our church as a whole, there are a lot of different personality types. And some people are way more woeful and winsome than others. Some people are more selfless than others. Some people are more patient than others. And sometimes this shows up on personality tests. And one, one time I took a personality test, and the guy, I love personality tests, by the way. And one time the guy who did the personality test uh, puts my, we're in a group of like 50 people. I don't know if this is even legal to do this, but he took my personality test without my name on it and put it up on a screen and maybe he just felt like my personality would be, you know, secure enough to not be impacted by this and cry. But um, it, did, it did impact me. I'm still thinking about it today. Um, but he put my personality up, and then he goes, this person, this person is 98% more impatient than the rest of society. Can anybody else guess who this person is? Now, I won't tell you if anybody was able to guess if it was me or not, but um, I was sharing this with Stacy, and I was talking about my personality type, and she told me, she said, Andy, actually, I want to make sure you're reminded that patience is not a personality type, it's the fruit of the Spirit. So you, you actually can excuse your impatience. I, I thought it was brilliant when she said it. Um, and you can excuse your impatience, but actually, it's a part of your transformation to become more and more like Jesus. Now, the point that I'm making is sometimes our standard 
for the way that we treat one another. It could be somebody else. Our standard could be our own personality and the way that we treat other people. But the scripture doesn't give any excuse or any like moment for us to say, well, that's your personality. You, oh, you're, you're an impatient. You have that kind of person. Don't worry about being kind to others. It's okay. The standard that the scripture gives to us for how we are to treat one another is Jesus himself to be an imitator of God. So the more I understand the display of God's character in his love is Jesus' death on a cross for me, the more I understand that, the more that I can give that love to other people. And I have to elevate my standard. So when I fall, when I make a mistake, when I'm impatient, when there's a moment in my life where I don't treat other people the way that I want to, I don't excuse it, I go back and I say, what's the standard? The standard is Jesus' character. The standard is the way that Jesus has treated me. Now there's two practices that I find to be really helpful for this. One is pausing and two is planning. One is pausing and two is planning. And what I've known, noticed in my interactions with other people is that if I will just take a few seconds to pause in, in, in one interaction with another human being, when I find internally, sometimes when you find that fleshly or that internal response rising up is to practice the pause and to literally take a deep breath before I react. How many emails in your life would you wish that you could take back, just out of curiosity? How many text messages? I have a feature on my emails that is a one minute delay after I press send. You can program it intentionally. Because sometimes I'll press send and I'll be like, ooh, I shouldn't have pressed send. And I'll think about something I should have said or said differently. And that pause, emails, text messages, phone calls, the way that we respond if we slow down. Look at these words, James 1, 19. He says this. Understand this, my dear brothers and sisters. You must all be quick to listen, slow to speak, slow to become angry. There's a progression there. It's quick to listen, slow to speak. Slow to get angry. For human anger, when human anger is the cadence and human anger is the way that we interact with one another, it does not produce the righteousness. It does not produce the kind of relationships that God desires. So I want to encourage you this week to practice the pause in your communication. Practice the pause when you're driving. When you get that horn or the one finger salute, just breathe deeply. And let God, there's a part of our brain, literally, that changes when we breathe deeply. In fact, maybe you can try it right now. Just take a deep breath. And when you slow down, we return to how God's made us to, to live and to treat one another. But when there's anxiety and frustration and there's anger and that anxiety is fueling the way that we treat one another, we react instead of reflecting the heart of God. So I want to pause. But the second thing is I, I want to plan. And what I've noticed, this is so helpful for me, when I think about my most important relationships, and this might be the, the part of the message for me that has been most helpful recently, is to think in, in the most important relationships in my life, I can plan to love somebody around me intentionally and think of things in advance to do to love that person so that when the day comes or the week comes or the month comes, there's something that has already been planned that is a deposit of my love into their heart to build that relationship. Sometimes relationships are, are fractured. Sometimes in our homes, the way that we treat one another between kids and parents, it's strained. 
But I can make a choice, you can make a choice in your relationships to have premeditated love, to write a note that your kid finds in their lunchbox, to send a text at 3 p.m. when your spouse is going into that meeting, or to do something that would get to somebody's house, a book that they've wanted to read. You can premeditate kindness in your relationships, and what it does is it's elevating the standard. So I think, how would God treat my kids? How would God treat my spouse? How would God treat my coworker? And sometimes when I'm in reactive mode, I don't think as clearly, but I can cooperate with God and his goodness towards me, and I can plan in advance. This is what God did for us. God knew that humanity would sin. God knew that we would, we would break his heart with our choices, but in advance, God decided that he was gonna love us. Aren't you so grateful that we have a God that saw into the future and already had a solution of love to bring our hearts back to his. And he invites us to do that exact same thing for the people in our lives. Watch this verse. Ephesians 1 says this. Even before he made the world, God loved us and chose us in Christ to be holy and without fault in his eyes. God decided in advance to adopt us into his own family. So it was in advance by bringing us through to himself through Jesus Christ. This is what he wanted to do. And it gave him great pleasure. Now, there's another principle at play in this planning that is so helpful. Because our emotions are all over the place as humans. Sometimes we're happy. Sometimes we're sad. Sometimes we feel angry. Sometimes we, we, we feel patient. Sometimes we, we feel a lot of different emotions. And we can measure our relationships based upon our emotions. But the scripture is so clear that your emotions in your relationships have the power to confuse you. And God gives us another standard. He elevates the standard with the action of Jesus' death on a cross and his resurrection as the standard for relationships. But watch this verse. This is so freeing. It says, dear children, let us not merely say we love each other. Let us show the truth by our actions. So the measurement of my love for you, the measurement of my love for my kids is not, is not simply my words, it's my actions. So it's how do I serve them and love them with acts of kindness. Now our actions will show us that we belong to the truth. So we will be confident when we stand before God. Now even sometimes in our relationships we feel guilty. You ever feel guilty like you're not doing enough? Parents, I'm not doing enough for my kids. I'm not doing enough in my marriage. I'm not doing enough for my church. I'm not doing enough. But he says, even when you feel that guilt internally on the inside, even when you feel guilty, God is greater than your feelings. And he knows everything. So you can look at the actions and the choices and you can say, okay, I've been faithful to love this person and be, I've been kind to them. And that kindness, those actions can put your heart at peace. So I want to premeditate kindness in my relationships, and then be at peace, that my emotions are gonna be all over the place, and the enemy is a liar. He will try to convince you that it's not enough. He will try to convince you that you are failing as a dad. He'll try to convince you that you're failing as a wife. And God wants to set your heart at peace to say, do good, love, and be free. Be liberated in your relationships. Y'all, that principle right there has been encouraging me so much in my relationships. Now, I have one more, and I'm going to finish on this. And the last one is to adjust my relational inputs. It's to adjust 
what I receive from others in my life. I heard this story this week, and I, it was the first time I'd heard this story. There was, there was this effort for a long time to break a two-hour marathon. And so many people had run, tried, and the fastest people on planet Earth, they had run, and nobody could break the two-hour marathon. There was this one guy, though. He got just below two hours. His last name is Kip Choge. And he was able to break the two-hour marathon, which means that he averaged right at a four-minute, 30-second pace, just under it. Now think about that for a second. 26.2 miles at four and a half minutes. I mean, I, I, I can't even run a half mile in four and a half minutes, just a half mile, not running anything else. But this guy, four and a half minutes, 26 miles. The secret, though, was that over the course of the two hours, he had 42 different people that rotated in and stood next to him and ran at a four minute 30 pace. So they would run next to him and then when they got done, they would rotate off and another person would come and run next to him and he was able to break the two hour marathon because the people that ran with him. I'm so glad they didn't invite me to do that with him. He would not have broken the two hour marathon. But that's such a powerful picture of the people that are in our lives, the relational inputs that we have are dramatically impacting the way that we treat other people. And some of us, if we're honest with ourselves, we, we don't have in our lives people that can come alongside and encourage us. We wanna be that for you. We wanna be the family that comes alongside you, encourages you, prays for you. In fact, we have something we do here once a month. It's a class that we have. And it's all about getting engaged in our church. We call it 101. And there we talk about how as a church we want to strengthen and encourage you in your journey of faith. You need people. I need people in my life. This is why we do small groups here. Because in a small group you get in community with other people that are on the same journey with you. They pray for you. They encourage you. They're with you when you go through hardship. They're with you in the good times. And they're a relational input into your life that's strengthening you so that you can run the race that God has asked you to live. Now, Proverbs 13, 20 makes a statement. It says, walk with the wise and become wise. Associate with fools and get in trouble. And we know this. We, we've all lived it. But to pay attention to it is another thing. I oftentimes, when I'm talking to my kids, I say, if you look at your life, the five closest friends that you have will dramatically impact the person that you become. So you and I are constantly receiving and rejecting relational inputs. And I want to encourage you, these two helpful practices before we finish is to receive the right things and reject the wrong things. It's to receive the relational inputs that God wants to bring in our lives to strengthen us and there are some people in our lives that we need to give a little bit less access to. I'm not saying that we, we don't spend time with our spouse or our kids. I'm not saying that we quit our jobs. I'm, I'm just simply saying that there are some people that you have allowed into your life and they are speaking lies, they are discouraging, they are gossiping, they're the kind of people that live with bitterness and their life is rubbing off of you on you. And God is saying you, you need some new relational inputs because haven't you noticed that there are some people that when you're around them, you're more joyful? And there are some people that when you're around them, you have a more positive outlook on your life and something begins to shift. See, if I can adjust the relational inputs of people in my life, 
I can over time become more and more like Jesus. Over time, I can become more loving, more kind, more patient to the people in my life. If we would take these three principles and leverage them in our lives this week, it would make a massive difference. To come back and, and really look at relationally, how, how aware am I of what is happening? I want to increase my relational awareness. Secondly, I want to adjust my standards and say Jesus is the standard for relationships. And thirdly, I want to make sure that my relational inputs are helping me run the race that God has asked me to live. I want to encourage you in your small group this week to go and to wrestle through these three principles and apply them into your lives. To take time this week with your notes and say, God, help me be the kind of person that's intentional in my relationships. And if we'll do these things, it will change our marriages. And if we'll do these things, it will change the way that we interact with our children. And if we do these things, students, it will change our classrooms and it will change our businesses. It, could you imagine if every person who was a follower of Jesus on planet earth said to themselves, I'm going to let Jesus be the standard for all of my relationships and let him change me from the inside out. There is no limit to what God could do through his church globally if we would accept and receive this truth into our lives. Jesus gives us a better way. Jesus gives us a way that leads to lasting joy and fulfillment in our lives and in our relationships. And I want to pray for you that you would be able, that I would be able to take these truths and live them out this week. Let's pray together. Father, thank you today that you are the example of love. That you demonstrate your love for us in this, that while our lives were a mess, you died for us. Thank you that you're a God that pursues and runs after your kids. And we fix our eyes on you, Jesus. Today, we we pray to you saying you are the God who's the breadth of your love and the depth of your love, the height of your love, the length of your love. No mind, no heart can fully fathom. But I pray for your church, for Saddleback Church, that somehow we would experience that love in the depths of our souls. I pray for every person that is listening to my voice today that there would be some moment this week in their life whether a moment when they're alone and they're brushing their teeth before they go to work or they're walking down the road and, 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 and heading towards their car or they're driving down the street or they're sitting at their desk at school, that there would be a moment sometime this week that you would overwhelm them with your personal love for them and that personal love that you have for each person in this church, in this local body, that each person would be transformed by that love and that love would transform their relationships. Help us be a reflection of your love to the world around us. Help us relate the way that you relate to us. Help us repair what's broken in our lives with your love. Thank you for your love, Jesus. In your name we pray, amen, amen.